we are in uh, the third part of our Reformation series, the Reformation series. Would you say that with me? One, two, three, the Reformation series. Very good. And uh, we have just had a great time in this series. Uh, we based this series on the fact that um, on October 31st, we'll, uh, we will celebrate the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther um, nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the church there in Wittenberg and uh, really starting or kicking off the Protestant Reformation. And, uh, and, and as we have studied and we have applied it not only to uh, what God was trying to change in 500 years ago in the church, but also what he's wanting to work in our life, um, we've looked uh, over those uh, experiences um, with the Protestant Reformation and specifically with Martin Luther and really kind of walked away with some changes that God's trying to make even in our lives. So let's review for a moment. I, I, I laid out the purpose of this um, series uh, that I would see um, you and I a call to reform. You and I would remodel, update, change out, restore some of the areas of our lives that we've allowed the enemy to get in from fear, doubt, uh, sinfulness, whatever it may be, that God wanted to remodel that. He wanted to rework that or reform that. Uh, the second purpose that we had with this series, and I pray that it's transpiring, is that you and I would get a basic education about the Protestant Reformation. That's critical because uh, we're Protestant. And you say, well, I didn't know I was Protestant. I was going to a non-denominational church. Yeah, but the fact that we're not Catholic pretty much falls under the category of some sort to Protestant. And so, uh, and as we look back on what that is and why is that, and though we don't go around wearing that as a badge of honor, uh, we do are grateful for what God did uh, 500 years ago and the freedoms that we have and the revelation of who he is because of that. The third purpose that we had in this is that you and I, by the end of this, and next week, Miss Jamie's really going to help us with this, to develop a declaration of statutes that give guidance to our families. Our kids, our families, our grandkids, you and me, husbands and wife, we need to know what do we stand for? What are we doing? What are we living for? Let's declare some things about us. I love that passage of scripture. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I made a declaration of it. I don't care what the rest of y'all do. We're going to serve God. I love that Daniel said, I don't care. I'm going to pray three times a day, whether you put me in jail or not, or whether you know throw me in the lion's den. It doesn't matter. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe, and this is who we are. And so we're going to close out the series with that in Jesus' name, and each one of you will be uh, uh, blessed by that. Uh, so let's cover what we did first. The first week was really just a call to embrace the fact that some things needed to change. We just needed to change some things in our life. The things that just kind of kind of, you know, just over time gotten in there, just like had happened in the church, you know, from, you know, you know, 500 A.D. to, you know, 1500 A.D. And, uh, and then also that we, second week we looked at, or last week, we looked at how to change those things out. Uh, identify the problem, uh, call upon the Lord, get friends involved, engage the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are some of our little teachings that we gave you last week. If you missed any of those, you can go back and hear them on our, uh, on our podcast or on our website. Really cool. And then we've been working a dual illustration with this series uh, two parts, kind of to illustrate the reformation that you and I need to have in our personal life. We've been working an illustration so that you could kind of grasp it. And we had two illustrations working simultaneously. Number one, uh, the remodel of my house. As the, uh, we started with the first week, you know, as the woodpecker got in there and then the squirrels got in, the, in my siding and started tearing up, you know, the, my, my, uh, you know the, the space there on the back wall of my house and I had to do something about it. And, and then last week we talked about how I needed to tear that out and we kind of showed you footage of me tearing out all the rotted spots and all the, you know, you know all the stuff, the damage that the, uh, the little critters had done. And, uh, and then we connected that with our second illustration and how God was tearing things out of the church, how he was changing things in the church 500 years ago, things that had become um, inappropriate, things that were sinful, things just straight up wicked, 
from the selling of indulgences uh, to the fact that somehow the Pope is now the supreme being over the church and that Jesus kind of lost his power in that era and the bishops and the cardinals could uh, absolve you from sin, which is not biblical. In fact, it's anti-biblical, if you will. And uh, how God used a a monk named Martin Luther uh, who was crying out to know God in a real way to point out these things. So this can't be right. He never intended to try to hurt the Catholic Church. He was Catholic. He he never intended to try to do damage uh, to the Catholic Church. He just wanted to make the church better and do right before the Lord. And that started this whole, uh, uh, you know, back and forth between he and the Pope and the, those in the papal leadership and it caused him to have to be basically excommunicated and from that we know the Protestant Reformation was on and, uh, and because of that many denominations came out of it and we sit here today and that's kind of where we have been so today we've titled this third piece or this third lesson the rebuild would you say that with me one two three the rebuild say it one more time the rebuild and it's important to me to point out that A lot of times preachers talk about what you shouldn't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Hallelujah. The Lord's mad at you. Don't do it. Don't sin. Don't do it. I think the problem with that is Jesus doesn't focus nearly as much on what we shouldn't be doing as much as he focuses on what we could be doing. And how, and if we put our attention on, on, on the wickedness and the shortcomings of our life, then that's all we'll ever be in, 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 enthroned with. But if we'll look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, if we'll lift up our eyes away from our own weaknesses and our own sinfulness and look to him and his strength and the glory and clothe ourselves with his nature, what will happen is we'll start becoming like him. We'll start looking like him. We'll start acting like him. And guess what will happen to all that sinfulness? It'll just fall off. Isn't that good? Say yes. And so as we dive into this today, we're going to talk about the rebuild and how actually to start. Last week we were talking about, hey, we need to remove these things. We need to identify them. We need to remove this fear. We need to remove this uh, this sinfulness in this area. We need to remove that. But we don't just stop there. That's that's only half, if you will, of the storyline. From there, it's this beautiful rebuild of what God had intended from the very beginning with the church to do some 500 years ago. He, he had this beautiful plan, and so it wasn't so much about the tear out as much as it, I want to rebuild you back to what I intended, because you've lost it over the last, you know, a thousand years, the 1,500 years uh, to that point. So with that being said, we got a key scripture. Turn with me quickly to Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. I quote it frequently, but it's our key scripture today. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. What that means is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by walking in faith under the grace of the living God, because what Jesus bought and paid for us, our salvation, we can continue to build ourselves up. And he's actually given us this encouragement. You brothers, friends, Christians, believers... Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So today we're going to talk about the rebuild or building ourselves back up. As we've torn some things out, we're going to rebuild. So let's take a moment and open in prayer. Father, I pray that over the next couple minutes, you would give me the ability, the strength, the wisdom, the guidance to encourage your people. Lord, may your word rock their mind, rock their heart. Lord, not me. Lord, no one talks about how great the extension cord is. We talk about how beautiful the power is that lights that that appliance. And and Lord, I just thank you, Lord God, that your power will somehow supernaturally flow to these men and women, give them revelation, give them understanding, give them connectivity with you like they've never experienced before. And that is what we're celebrating because of the Reformation, that we get to have that divine connection with you and no more lie, lie to that someone else has to stand between us and you. So Lord, today, Reveal truth to these your servants in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted, Amen. So let's kind of look at what God used 
Martin Luther to rebuild. There were some great things that he tore out, indulgences, that you know you could pay to get grandma out of purgatory, that you could, that you, uh, that you could buy a position in the church if you had enough money and now you had control over people, that the ignorance that you held people, uh, that the church held people in, 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 in bondage to so that they could control them. God was ripping all those things out, but what was he rebuilding? What was he trying to put back in place? And let me tell you some of the things that came out of the Reformation, what God was rebuilding. Number one, salvation by faith alone. Somebody ought to shout amen. Amen. Salvation by faith alone. Not by your works. Not by paying more than the guy down the street did. Salvation not because you did more penance than the guy uh, 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 next door to you did. But salvation by faith alone. In other words, Jesus is Lord. I put my faith in his lordship. He then extends his grace and mercy and it covers my sinfulness. And I am right, not because I'm good, because he's good. Are you getting it? Say yes. That came out of the Reformation. That was a revelation that the people of the time in the Middle Ages had no understanding of. They did not know that they could be saved by faith. They were saved in their understanding by works. So if they didn't do good enough, if they didn't, and that's the problem with Islam. So if, 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 that's why it's a false religion. Because if they don't please Allah enough, and that's why you see these radical guys, because they want to please Allah so that they can be brought into paradise. They don't know for sure. They don't have a clear, clear uh, pathway to know for sure. And so they have to do as much as they can to, quote, get his favor. Friend, I am so grateful that the Bible is so clear. And God reinstated that after it had been stolen for a thousand years, that he reinstated that grace by faith faith in Jesus Christ. My salvation comes clear to me because I have faith in him alone. Isn't that good? Say yes. Here's the second big thing that happened, and that is the authority of the scripture alone. Not the authority of the Pope. What, some crazy idea that he got or some cardinal said, this is what God says, brother, and you have to do it because God told me. If it don't line up with the Holy Word, it ain't God, so shut up. It brought back God reinstated. He said, look, you stole that from me, Satan, but I'm putting it back in the church where it's supposed to be. I'm going to rebuild this into the church. You and I, some, you know, 500 years later, like, of course, of course, if it didn't line up with the Holy Scriptures. Friend, they didn't even have Holy Scriptures. In the Middle Ages, it was all in Latin, the Vulgate, so they didn't even know what the Bible said. They had nothing to compare the Pope's actions or the Cardinal's actions or the Bishop's actions and what they were doing by way of them living in perversion, many of them, by way of them being as wicked and ungodly. They had nothing to say, well, that's not right. That doesn't line up with who Jesus was. Why? Because they didn't have the Holy Scriptures to even read. They couldn't even read them, couldn't even know what God meant. But, oh, what God did using Martin Luther, using the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Gutenberg Press, what he did was... Gave a scripture to every person. Everyone could read the New Testament and say, wait, wait a minute. This is the holy word. This is what God has to say. And each and every one of us could read it and know it for ourselves. And I'm so grateful that God built that back in after it had been stolen and ripped out all the other lies. Here's the third big thing, and that was independence of the local church. Independence of the local church. So what, how, why is that so significant? Well, up until that point, you were, you, you were only a church that the Pope said you were a church. And you were only able to be a part of the church that the Pope didn't excommunicate you or have something other uh, made, made him mad about you. And so you could be thrown out. But the local church, as God established it in the Holy Scriptures, and we see each one of those letters from the apostles going to the church in Ephesus, going to the church over here, that these churches could stand. They could stand and be a congregation. And they could hear from God. And they could touch their community. And, and the, the beauty of the fact that the church could be independent and say, or the priesthood. Here's the fourth one. The priesthood of the believer. 
In other words, that you and I can go directly to God. I don't need somebody else to absolve me of my sins. I don't need someone else to cause me to have the body of Christ become evident in sacraments. That God himself made a way through Jesus Christ for me to have direct access to him. I can pray directly to him. I don't have to pay you to pray because you're closer to him, because you're more anointed to me, because you gave your life to ministry. So as a result, I'm a lower individual. I don't have to pay you to have a relationship with the living God. It's not a third-party relationship. It's a direct relationship. Somebody ought to shout amen. That's powerful and beautiful. And I'm so glad that he got that built back in. I love this other one. The purpose or God's purpose in your work. Most people don't even recognize this. But it was one of the most beautiful things that came out of the Reformation. And up until this point, during the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, what transpired was if you were in ministry, if you were clergy, if you were a part of the Catholic Church hierarchical system, then you had a higher calling. So if you were a farmer, you had a lower calling. If you, were, if you worked with chickens, you had a lower calling. If you worked with your hand or if you were some other position, it was a lower calling. And that had been stripped away from the actual truth. Because let me tell you something. It's he who called some to be this and some to be that. Friend, if you're a lawyer, God called you to be a lawyer, then be a lawyer for Jesus with all of your heart. That is a high calling in Christ. And so what that did was once that revelation came back, God put that back in. And Martin Luther started pointing that out. Wait a minute. That just because I was in the ministry, ministering to the people doesn't give me a higher call. I'm not a better individual. You doing your job as a a stay-at-home mom is a high calling. There's purpose in that. God is in that. God is not looking at you going, oh, if only you had become a nun. That would have been holier. That would have been more more proper to me. And all God's people in this room said amen, right? Thank God. And so that was reinstated. Why? God built that back in after it had been destroyed. And he built that back in so that you and I can do what God's called us to do and stand in the righteousness of Christ knowing that we're fulfilling purpose and that's why the Bible says for those who give let them give generously for those who administrate let them administrate properly those who lead let them lead like they should those who prophesy let them prophesy from the spirit of the Lord and what he's saying is I've given each one of you gifts and, uh, and productions and purposes for in the body of Christ and so those of you that God has given this thing to just bring in wealth he says so go ahead and bring in that wealth and give and be a gracious giver and this is the pieces that have been stripped away and you felt like a loser because you didn't become a nun or you didn't become a priest. They were higher than you, and that's how they controlled everyone and made them a peasant mentality. Are you there? Say yes. yes. Now, you can look at me and say, though he be the pastor, and though Pastor Adam is the guy that God put over this, this church as the quarterback, he and I are on the same page. I can go to God just like he can go to God. Come on now. He, he hears from God, and I hear from God. He's no better than me, and I'm no lesser than him. At the same time, we have order, and he's the guy in charge of this moment right here. He's the guy in charge of this, but he is not God. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? And this is the beauty that God reinstated. How about this other piece that probably you don't think about much? And that is, it was with the Reformation that worship was reestablished. Do you realize if you'd gone to Catholic Church in 1430-something, you would have sat there, and, and, and a choir would have come out of, of little boys or the priests or something, and they would have sang, la, la, la. And you'd have been like, that's so beautiful. I have no idea what they're saying. Because it would have been in Latin. And again, that's not me making fun of them, just me communicating. That's what it would have been. And so once the Reformation happened, Martin Luther started writing songs in German so we could sing to God. 
Worship, as you experience it this morning, that could be intimate, that could be relational, that could be you singing to your God. That that wasn't happening because you didn't know what they were singing. You didn't have any direct connectivity. So worship came out of the Reformation that we could worship our God and sing songs to him and express our heart just like David did, writing most of those psalms there in your book of Psalms. Here's another piece that came out of it. And I and many people just that this is the real reason that Martin Luther wanted a Reformation. And that is for the first time, God reinstated that clergy could be married again come on hey watch yourself some people just said martin luther just wanted to make babies that's why he did this whole thing but that's not the case but it is it was a great outcome that god put back in place in fact uh pastor ryan wouldn't i've been talking about uh martin luther's wife her name was uh katharina von bora she's german and um <laughs> and so she was a nun and at this nunnery you know miles and miles away from where where martin was uh, but the, but the storyline goes that she became interested in the growing reform movement and the things that, uh, that, uh, that Martin was teaching. And she became dissatisfied with the monastery. And so she conspired with several other nuns to uh, escape and the nunnery. So that, talk about control. And so she reached out to Martin Luther. Could you help us escape? Since you're preaching that we don't, that we don't have to be celibate that, to be like God, that we can be married and that we can be godly people and be married. So can you help us? And so Martin Luther sent a wagon over there with this guy who would bring fish as the storyline goes. Uh, he sent uh, Leonard Cope. He was a city councilman of Torga, a merchant who regularly delivered herring to the monastery. Now, some people believe that it was the wine barrels. So other, uh, uh, you know, others say that it was the herring barrels. But nonetheless, the nuns got in the barrels in, in, on the wagon and escaped. And they came to Wittenberg, where Martin Luther was at. And, uh, and one guy commented, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, one guy commented, a wagon load of Vestal virgins has just come to town. All more eager for marriage than for life. God grant them husbands, lest worse befall us all. And so, which I thought was hilarious. And, uh, and so Pastor Ryan and I have been talking about that uh, Katharina, uh, she, uh, Martin helped all her other nuns get married, uh, but didn't get her a husband. And so she began to push on him and push on him and said, you said that you were going to get us all husbands, and I'm not married yet. And you probably understand why she wasn't married yet. Anyway, the point being is this went on and on, and she gave him a deadline. And she said, if you don't get me married to somebody by this deadline, you have to marry me. Now, Martin was busy with a revival. And here's this nun telling, oh, you're going to marry me. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Obviously, she was a pretty tough individual. Anybody went to Catholic school, you know some of them nuns. This was one of them. And, uh, and so, so it, the time came, so Martin had to bow. And so he married her. They ended up having six or seven kids, and she ended up running the world. I mean, she was a powerful person. But the point being is this, is that things changed. God was rebuilding some things, and all the pastors who have wives said amen. Thank you, Jesus, right there. I'm going to tell you right now. I thought I was called to celibacy for like a week. And so, anyway, <laughs> the Lord corrected me. I'm so grateful for what God was rebuilding. In other words, things that had been stolen, he was building them back into the, king, uh, into the church. Things that had been misappropriated, God was building them back through with, with the Reformation. And you and I need to realize that though, though we ask God, Lord, please take this anger out of my heart. He doesn't want to just take that anger. He wants to rebuild real love inside of you. He doesn't want to just strip away the fact that, you know, that your identity has been since high school to be the person that if you mess with them, they're going to knock you out. He doesn't want to just strip away that. He wants 
wants to build you into the man he originally intended, that you were a man that walked in authority but didn't have to get loud and get violent and didn't have to do it in your own flesh, but God could walk and move through you in supernatural power that caused others to tremble when they walked in wickedness. That's, he's trying to rebuild. He doesn't want to just strip away, but he wants to rebuild. And that was the whole movement of the Reformation is that God wasn't just trying to rid himself of all these horrible things. He was trying to bring the church back to what he intended it to be, a church that walked in power, a church that knew him intimately, a church that walked in the glory of the living God to where all the lost people said, I want that. And I love the fact that when this Reformation started happening, that a lot of people put their attention on the things that were being torn apart in the Catholic Church. But really what God was saying is, no, 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 I'm not tearing apart the Catholic Church. What I'm doing is I'm building the church the way it was supposed to be. I'm reforming it back to what I had intended some things to happen. Did they get it all right? No. That's why we're constantly reforming. Am I, am I a perfect man of God? No. That's why he's constantly pulling this out of me so that he can put this inside of me because that space cannot stay void. For if it stays void, then enemy will get right back in, right? And that's what the scripture teaches. So today, let us look at what God was really trying to reform. Now, I'd like to illustrate that because we've been doing my little remodel series on my little house. And so you saw the holes. And if you've been here and we played them right before the service. And, uh, and then we looked last week at how we did the tear out. Well, let's take about 90 seconds and look at our remodel and see how good we did. If you play that for them for just a moment and see how we remodeled and how good it looks at my house now. Go. So there you go, 10 to 12 hours of hard work, ripping out all the messy stuff, getting all the critters out, and then coming back with new, wonderful wood, paint, caulking. And so it's been a long, hard job, but, uh, but it was well worth it. It looks beautiful. And now we're going to tear down, clean up, go get something to eat. Come on, you got to get something to eat when you finish the job, right? So there it was. It looked great. We finished it up. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10, and then we'll jump into verses 12 therein. And uh, what I want to point out to you is the whole process that we've been doing in this series, we find it laid out right here in Colossians. I just about took Colossians 3 as a roadmap of what we've been teaching the last couple of weeks. And so with that being said, turn to Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. We'll start there. And this is really where Paul is challenging the Colossians with the tear out. And he says it like this, put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul starts into this in chapter 3 by saying, hey listen, I want to challenge you. Put to death 
those old things. So he's talking about the tear out. And he starts listing these things. Sexual immorality, look, greed, idolatry. He starts calling all the evil desires, impurity, lust. He talks about slander, filthy language, anger, rage. He starts talking. He says, put to death these things. Rid yourselves, he says. He even goes on to say, you've taken off your old self. Don't put this back on. And, and the reason why this is critical for you and I to remind ourselves of, and which is what we were doing last week, is that we were saying, listen, we got to rid ourselves of some stuff. we got to get rid of some things. And Paul starts there. But then if you'll jump down to the next set of verses, in verses 12 through 14, he then makes this shift into the rebuild. So he says, you got to tear these things out, but let me help you make the shift to the rebuild. And he goes, therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, if you're God's chosen people, say me. Half of you. All right, the rest of you will get it by the end of the week. Let's try it one more time. If you're God's chosen people, say me. me. Holy and dearly loved. Okay, now, now this will blow your mind. This is a confusing statement if you're a works-oriented person. So he gives you a whole list of sins that you and I need to get rid of. And then he calls us God's chosen people. And he calls us holy. He calls us dearly loved. Wait a minute, if I'm in rebellion and I'm sinful and God hates me, how can he call me dearly loved and chosen? Why? Because I'm saved by grace. It's his grace. When God the Father looks at me, he sees me as chosen, dearly loved. Okay, so, so you got to separate out the fact that I am saved, I'm sanctified, I'm loved by God. He loves me. Now, as a good godly man, there are some things, some critters that keep trying to get in behind the wall that I need to tear out. And I need to rebuild. That doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm right with God. He loves me. He, I'm safe. And so what happens, though, is when we begin, and I teach you this all the time, and I love the way Jack Hafer said it, if I'm sin committed, then that is leading me to hell. But if I'm sin prone, that's the walk of every Christian. Okay, I know you didn't get it, so I'm going to re-say it to you. If I'm sin committed, and that's why Galatians would say, hey, if you continue in your sexual sin, if you continue being rebellious, I warn you as I did before, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, whoo, what's the difference? See, the difference is when someone calls himself a Christian, but they, they ain't even trying to stop going out and getting drunk. They're not even trying to stop being a pervert. Are you with me? What they've done is said, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. It doesn't really matter. I can do what I want to do. Hallelujah. God's going to, I once saved, always saved. Well, Galatians completely fights against that. Why? Because the response to grace is love and surrender. That's the response. So if that's not your response, if your response is, I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's just all right because, you know what, I get a get-out-of-jail-free card because when I was eight years old, I got water baptized. No, he said, no, sir, that's not the case. So, but as a Christian, you and I who love God with all of our heart, we are sin-prone. I'm going to tell you right now, you didn't make it last week without getting mad at somebody. You had to drive the interstate system here in Texas. You, did, you, you, got, you have a wife. You have a husband. You got kids. I'm telling you right now, you could go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 and go, yep, that one this week, that one this week, that one this week. We live in a perverted, fallen world. You can't even turn on your computer without, oh, dear Jesus, help me, Lord. You can't even. We live in a fallen world. So what has to happen is you and I first and foremost need to understand that we, we have asked Jesus into our life. He has forgiven us of our sins. When God the Father looks at us, what does he see? Grace and mercy. He sees the righteousness of Christ over my life. But internally, inside of me, it's still a work in progress. Isn't everybody right? Say yes. 
So that's what it is. It's a work in progress. So what Paul is challenging the Colossians is saying, listen, you got to get rid of this junk now. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Come on. You know, when, when mama would come into your bedroom as a teenager, oh, uh-uh. You're going to have to pick that up. You're going to have to get that fixed right there. And Paul said, hey, you got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of that. And then he goes into, well, let me tell you what to replace it, God's chosen son, man of God. Holy and acceptable by God. Yeah, but I got this stuff in my man of God. Holy and accepted by the living God. The one who is loved by the, by the God of heaven and earth. He says, and let's go into it, verse 12. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you know what a growing, on-fire Christian is constantly doing? Clothing themselves with these eight things. They're clothing themselves with these eight things. It's not so much about what they're ripping out of their life or tearing out of their life. It's so much more about what they're clothing themselves with. There's so much more with their clothing. So let's go through each one of these for just a moment. There's eight of them listed here. And he starts, number one, clothe yourselves with compassion. Can I tell you something? If you wake up in the morning and just say, Lord, you're going to have to give me compassion because I work with a bunch of idiots. And I just need you right now. As you begin to clothe yourself with compassion, you will be blown away how much easier it is not to give yourself over, come on now, to criticism, to gossip, to slander. Someone taught me years ago, you have a problem with somebody, start praying for them. I said, what? Pray for them. I'm going to punch them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them who the boss is. They start, start praying for them because when you start praying for them, you'll start having compassion on them. That's why Jesus said, listen, he says, walk a mile in that man's shoes before you start criticizing. Go the extra mile. This is what real Christianity looks like. Clothe yourself with compassion. Here's the second thing. Clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness. Here's the problem. If you're full of selfish ambition, it's hard to be kind. It really is. And uh, Jamie and I were talking about, you know, she went to one of the retail stores recently, and the little gal working behind the counter was rude. Uh, I mean, she was rude, crude, and obstrued. I mean, she should have been fired on the spot. And Jamie just kept killing her with kindness. Uh, do you know where I can find? Uh, 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 I don't know. Okay. Well, you do work here, and it is your job. But um, maybe I could look over here, you think? I guess you can try. Well, I'm going to go look over here. Ma'am, you can't buy that. That's not for sale. That's just sitting on the counter. Oh, so sorry. I was just looking at it. What Jamie could have done is said, let me tell you, where's your manager at, all right? Because you're a loser. And let me tell you something. Ain't nobody going to disrespect me like that. But the reason she didn't do that is why? Because she had clothed herself with kindness that day. Not because that person was wrong and Jamie was right and she had a right to tell that girl something. Just the opposite. She had clothed herself with kindness so that why? So bitterness couldn't get in. See, it's more about what we clothe ourselves with. See, it was more about what God was trying to rebuild in the Reformation than what he was trying to tear out. What was being tore out was the result that the other things did not exist. The reason why there was a selling of indulgences because there was selfish ambition in the Pope and the other one, and they had lost kindness and they didn't care about how they ravaged the poor people. The reason why they kept the people in ignorance and happened over the years is why? Because they lost a real love for the people. And so that's why they treated them that way. See, if we get the virtue straight, come on somebody, the actions will just flow properly. And that's what Paul is teaching the Colossians. So let's go to number three. The third thing he said, and clothe yourself with humility. <laughs> wow. That's a difficult one when your coworker is taking credit for what you did. That's a difficult one. Clothe yourself with humility. I'll never forget the real test of humility that the Lord had with me one time. I mean, just a big one. 
I mean, a person was taking advantage of me. Everyone was expecting me to lead us out of that situation. I was ready to fire on this person, power drive them into the ground. And the Lord said, I want you to take it. I want you to be humiliated. I'm like, you want me to, why would you want me to, is there that much pride left in my life? And he said, no, I'm teaching you the next level of real leadership and real love of people. And that is to allow them to take advantage of you. Because I grew up as an only child and I grew up as a poorer kid. You never let anybody take advantage of you. You fight for your right to... Anyway, so that was kind of... <laughs> some of you had a flashback. You're going to go down that on your Spotify right now. Pastor mentioned it. It must be good. <clears throat> Here's number four thing that he told us to clothe ourselves with. Gentleness. 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 I had the privilege of being around a person... Uh, who has driven their children away from them and used the scriptures to do it. What happened was, over time, somehow that person lost a real love for those kids, real love for Jesus, and they lost gentleness. And those children cower when that man walks in the room. Why? Because he's not gentle. What he's done is he's taken the word, and he's taken his rights, and he's, he's badgered everyone across the head with it. He's taken the Holy Bible, and they used to call them Bible thumpers, and thump you in the head with it. Can I tell you something? Gentleness. Don't you love to be a... I mean, you think about grandparents. Everybody wants to go sit in grandpa's lap. Why? Because he's gentle. So not my grandpa. Well, there you go. But the point being is there's a gentleness that you and I should clothe ourselves with. Kindness and gentleness. These also actually sound like the fruits of the Spirit. Rewritten, aren't they? And here's the next one. Number five. He said, and patience. Clothe yourself with patience. Patience. <laughs> this is a hard one for me right there. Why? Because inside of me is a drivenness to accomplish great things for the Lord and for life and for me and for my family. And so to be patient, to wait on things to shift, to wait for things to shift so that God can move in that scenario. It's really hard for me to be patient about having another campus right now. We're growing. We're tapping out. The parking lot's really crazy. You guys know that. We can't fit any more kids in our kids' area. So we're starting junior high so that we can move some people. Hopefully, they'll come from the second service, come to the first service, get a little bit more body movement, get some kids ministered to, free up some space in our kids' wing. We're working all of those things. And it would all be fixed if God would just do what he said he was going to do and give us another campus. Be fixed. But I have to be patient. And you know what? I'm not going to get out ahead of God and destroy us. Put us in financial difficulty. Are you with me? Say yes. Cause us all kinds of conflict. Why? I get outside of him because I'm not being patient. How many people got married because they weren't patient? Waiting for the right one. And look up and say, man, did I mess up my life. How many times have I sat there in council and going, man, you should have waited. Because this wasn't a good mix. I don't know who counseled you to do this, but it was stupid. Because you were impatient. How many people went out and bought a car and put themselves in all kinds of jeopardy financially? Why? Because they weren't patient. Didn't wait. Had to have it now. Got to have it now. Clothe yourself with patience. Here's the next one, number six. Number six and number seven. He actually doesn't put them. I do, actually. I, I put them in, uh, in, in, in a, a noun format. He actually puts them in, a, in an action format, in verb. Uh, I, I call it number six forbearance. But in the scriptures, he moves from these little, if you will, uh, nouns to, descriptive nouns to no, uh, number uh, seven, excuse me, six. He says, and bear with each other. So have patience, be kind, and bear with each other. And he goes into it, or I call it forbearance. And if you look that word up in the Greek, one of the definitions of that actual uh, original word in the Greek of forbearance or bearing with one another is suffering. Yeah, right. Somebody just said amen because you got it. I have been married to this guy and I have been suffering, having 
forbearance. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Hey, but bear with each other. It says bear with each other and whatever grievances you may have against one another. Moving into number seven, and that is forgiveness. So clothe ourselves with forbearance. Number six, clothe ourselves with forgiveness. Do you know how easy it is to say forgive and how hard it actually is to live in forgiveness? So difficult. But some of the most powerful, sweetest, kindest Christians I've ever been around. You just can't offend them. They just walk in. They clothe themselves in forgiveness. They don't go, what did you say? What did you mean by that? They don't say that. They're not that. They're not living in deep insecurity. Why? Because they've clothed themselves with forgiveness. So when you start blah, 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 just boom, boom, bounces right off of them. It's magnificent. Can you imagine if you went to work Monday morning, you came home from work Monday, and you had clothed yourself with such forgiveness that not one thing got down in your heart that caused you to complain? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you said, you know what? I can't change her. I can't make him do what I want him to do. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to bear with it. I'm just going to be, you know, bear grills, and I'm just going to bear with it. I'm just going to hunker down, and I'm going to let God change her. I'm going to let God change him. I'm going to let God change the situation. I'm going to learn something beautiful in the midst of forbearance, and God's just going to do it. And in that, I'm going to develop into the greatest man or woman of God the world has ever seen. Why? Because this person's hard to live with. Can you imagine if we started? That's what Paul's challenging us to do. He's saying, rebuild with this. Rebuild with this. In the last piece, he said, and that is rebuild or clothe yourselves with love. It says, listen, and let me explain all the other virtues. This last one, love, binds them all together. So as I was going through this list, I started picturing. To remodel the back of my house, I had to get plywood. I had to get two-by-fours. I, I, I had to get caulking. I had to get paint. I had all these pieces that I was going to build back up. I had to get uh, a weather stripping. I had to do all these pieces. And, and, and I had to, had to cut them and fit them and, and, and put them on the outside. I had to clothe my house with this wonderful new material as I've ripped out the old and rotted material and the damaged material. I had to clothe my house with these pieces. And as I did, guess how I got them all to stay? Pop, pop, pop. I nailed them up. You know how you walk in humility? Surround yourself in love. Do you know how you have grace and mercy on others and not become bittered? Walk in forgiveness. It all is nailed together by love. You and I walking in the love of Christ. You and I learning to love like Christ loved us. This is the problem with most marriages. You have husbands who love themselves and wives who love themselves. And the conflict is in that piece right there. But the Bible says, sir, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. That's love. So you take those two pieces, and if we could do that, then what would happen? We wouldn't have all the conflict and the difficulty. It always comes back down to one simple truth, and that is, do you love him? Yes. Do you love him enough to submit to his stupidity? No. <laughs> That's the problem. Do you love her? Yes, I love her. I work for her. Yeah, but you don't love her like Christ loves the church. You don't give yourself up for her. You're still talking to some girl on Facebook. You don't love her. You love yourself. This is the breakdown. This is why we have conflict in the church. This is why we have conflict at work. This is why we have conflict in our marriages. You don't, you don't love the way Christ loved. And when you and I clothe ourselves with this, now we're rebuilding. Now it's shiny and new. And people come and go, that looks good, Pastor Adam. That house is looking good. That's right. That's right. Why? Not because of what we tore out, but because of what we put back. Are you with me? It's been told that during the Vietnam War, there was a seasoned jet fighter pilot that found himself in a very precarious situation. He was thousands of feet in the air, en route to engage the enemy, 
when all of a sudden something began scrambling around his feet and he looks down and a giant rat has gotten in the cockpit of his jet fighter pilot. He's left with a decision to make. Obviously, as he looks at this thing and he's about to engage the enemy, the rat begins to gnaw at all the little circuitry there in the cockpit. Just gnawing and pulling on things. If he begins to fight with the rat, he'll lose control of this multi-million dollar aircraft. If, if he lets him continue doing what he's doing, he'll destroy the aircraft just because he's a rat chewing on things. So he had but one option left. He puts his oxygen mask on, points the nose as high as he can, and takes that jet fighter plane all the way up into the upper atmosphere, suffocating that rat as it lays there dead at his feet. He's able to come back down and engage the enemy. Yes, you and I have little rats in our life. But when you sit around fighting with the little rats, wasting your life and your time, trying not to be bad, trying trying not to do that anymore, what you do is you give too much attention to the enemy. Just the opposite needs to happen. You need to take it higher, suffocate the enemy, put on those things which are good, clothe yourself with love, clothe yourself with, with forgiveness, clothe yourself with forbearance, clothe yourself with compassion. As you clothe yourself and you bring, it'll suffocate every little enemy that's been trying. You say, I just can't stop doing this. What you need to do is stop fighting with the little rat and just take it higher. I just can't. I don't know what my problem is. I'm just so depressed. You need to stop fighting with depression and you need to take that sucker higher and start loving the hurting people of this world. Start being like Jesus. Start clothing yourself with compassion. Start clothing yourself with forgiveness. And what that'll do is that'll drown out, suffocate out every little plan of the enemy to destroy you that's even been there since some of your childhood. One day you'll look up and go, I'm not that person anymore. How did that happen? Because you took it higher. The reason why I worship the way I worship, the reason I chase after Jesus the way I do is because I can't stop my sinfulness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run after him and that in and of itself is going to kill off all the little rats that try to get in the cockpit. The things that I didn't even plan on, things I don't even want to have in my life, if I'll just chase after him and clothe myself with these things, everything else will die out. Are you with me? Say yes. Stand with me all across the room. Hope that's helped you today. My love for you is so strong and I want to see our members become men and women of God who raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils. Is that what you want? Say yes. Good, because that's, that's the book of Mark challenging you to be that way and so if you take a moment with me I want to just minister to you I want you to close your eyes with me to kind of give yourself a, 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 a an ability to kind of concentrate and kind of create a space for you and the Lord to interact I try to do this every service I don't want to just present a truth and not give it opportunity to minister to mine in your heart so with your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment why don't you help me respond to this message by speaking to your Savior so you don't need another high priest. You don't need to come talk to me about it. You and God need to have a moment here and now, right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what is, where's the starting point for you to start putting back on the side of your house? What needs to start being rebuilt? Have you lost compassion? What is God asking you to clothe yourselves with? What do you... What are you looking at as you evaluate yourself and say, you know what, I have really lost out on being a person of forgiveness. Are you quick to be kind? Are you quick to win the fight? Do you have to be right every time? Are you gentle? Are you like a bull in a china cabinet? So you've got your head bowed and your eye closed. God's not mad at you. You're his. If you made a decision for the Lord and you made him the Lord of your life, according to the Holy Scriptures, you are justified. You are righteous in Christ. 
so I still got these things left in your life. Welcome to humanity. Oh, but friend, you don't have to die with a rat in your cockpit. Just the opposite. It's time to take it higher. And I want to challenge you today. Eight things that Paul laid out for us. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. As you stand, stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, which of these have become undone in your life? Which of these are you no longer clothed with? Paul was challenging us. He said, rid yourself to all this other stuff, but clothe yourself. Nail up. Put upon your life these eight things. Have you lost patience with a child? Have you become embittered at the way you were treated at your last job? Are you just angry, just, just angry at your situation because someone prophesied that you would be further along than this right now and you've lost patience? The Lord is challenging. Clothe yourself with patience today. Father, we come before you. We recognize our humanity. Lord, that we're sin prone. We're not sin committed, Daddy. We love you. You are the love of our life. But we do recognize that over time, things somehow continue on. And we want to not just tear those out, but we want to clothe ourselves with the right things. Lord, we don't want to just focus on removing. We want to focus on rebuilding. The things that you intended for us to look like. You wanted us to be patient. You wanted us to be like your son Jesus and kind and gentle. And so today we recognize that we have to reclothe ourselves. We have to go buy some of that. We have to get a hold of some of that, reapply that. And so Jesus, as you hear the cry of the sweethearts of these, your servants, Lord, I thank you that you'll give us strength. You'll give us ability. I want you to ask right now, as you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, if you've been embittered, I want you to say, Lord, help me walk in forgiveness. If you've been impatient, I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, you've got to help me. I'm not really good at being patient. Lord, I need your help. The Bible says that he will respond to us when we call to him. We read that passage last week. As you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give a call to anyone in this room that might would say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I'm not right with God. I, I, I'm pretty positive if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I came to the church and, and I watch you guys worship and I, I feel like, like I'm an outsider, like I don't really know God. I want to. There's something in my heart that pulls me and draws me to this Jesus that you speak of. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, there used to be a season in my life where I loved the Lord and I served Him, but life happened and I became committed to sin and I walked away from Him and I find myself separated, divorced. I have no relationship with Jesus, but I want, I want it back. Friend, I want you to know He wants you back. All of heaven is sitting on the edge of their seat wondering, will this be the moment that you'll respond to the Lord? The Bible is very clear that Jesus paid for every one of our sins 2,000 years ago when the perfect, spotless, beautiful, precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, sacrificed His life on the cross, the payment for our sins. You say, well, that's, what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, He'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You'll become His in that moment. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no, no desire to embarrass you, humiliate you, or point you out. But you need to make a personal decision for Jesus today. I want to lead you in that. If you say, I've been away from the Lord, I want to lead you back. You say, Pastor, I used to know the Lord, but I walked away. I want to come home. I want to lead you back. You say, I've never known Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer of relational connection today. 
with no one looking around, if that's you, you're either not a Christian or you walked away from God and you want to come home, would you let me pray for you? No one's looking around. I just need you to acknowledge that to yourself, to God and to me by just lifting your hand. If that's you, lift your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord across the room. And I'll pray. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Quickly, I'll give you about three seconds. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be right with the Lord. I want you to lead me in that prayer. Thank you, sweet love. You can put your hand back down. Amen. Two more seconds. Anybody else? Amen. Now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of connectivity. There's nothing magical about the words, but supernatural. As you came to this service, God touched your heart, and you're responding to him. This is a personal decision that you're making. I know it's in public, but nobody's looking around. This is you and God. I'm not going to call you forward and embarrass you. This is you and Jesus. And I want to lead you just in a prayer, just a prayer of connectivity. And I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask the entire congregation to pray this out loud with you so you're not alone as you make a decision for Jesus. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Jesus. Try it again. Jesus, Jesus. today I surrender. My life, my desires, what I want. And I determine here and now, I want you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now that the peace of God would overwhelm the thoughts and fears of every man and woman who prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe a repeated prayer to come back to you. All the lies, well, you're not going to do it. You just pretend and you didn't really mean it. All those lies would be silenced. And the real voice of God will begin to speak. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm proud of you. We'll figure it out together. Let those statements ring true because that's who you are, Jesus. And we ask you now, Lord, cover this congregation. Lord, I pray that every member in our church, Lord God, will begin to clothe themselves, including me, God, clothe ourselves, the beauty of what the gospel is supposed to look like. What being like Jesus is supposed to, the characteristics, the virtues, the nature of God, that we could cover ourselves in that. And that, Lord God, that through this whole remodel process, we'll look up one day and we'll look more like you than we ever have. We thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.